Rest Stop. Brad Restituto. Seven years. Handoff. Damian Williams trying to get to the edge. Breaks a tackle. 35, 30. Damian Williams, 20. Stays in bounds. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown. Kansas City. And the snap goes high over the head of Big Ben. All the way back to the 2, to the 1. And the Browns have it in the end zone. And they dive on the ball and recover it for a touchdown. Carl Joseph's got it in the end zone. A touchdown. Derek looks left. Derek going to throw for the end zone. Caught! It is caught! Touchdown! <laughs> Welcome to the rest stop. It's May 27th, 2021. It's Thursday. I'm Brad Restituto. Spencer Ostrowski joins me. As always, we broadcast from 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. Follow us on twitch.tv slash Football. That's where we broadcast live, as well as my Twitter, at Brad the Believer, and then the Facebook channel. Uh, got a good show for you tonight. The NBA playoffs ramped up, and we've got a few Game 3s going on right now live. Uh, one complete, two currently in action. Uh, the final from earlier had the Milwaukee Bucks taking a commanding 3-0 series lead, taking care of the Heat 113-84, covering the short number. Uh, a lot of places it finished at 1, Bucks minus 1. They cover that one easily, and good opportunity to sweep uh, the Miami Heat in the series. A couple games going on, just ending in the third. Lakers have a commanding lead, 76-63, nice third quarter, outscoring the Suns 33-23. And then with about six and a half left in the third quarter, the Nuggets trying to pull away from Portland, 75-66. Nikola Jokic, uh, halfway through three, already has 24 points, two rebounds, two assists. Some great games yesterday as well. Um, again, the Knicks Hawks, another exciting one from Madison square garden, the Knicks, even up the series, one game apiece. Derek Rose got to start in the second half. Didn't have great shooting percentage, nine to 21 from the field, but definitely had an impact on the game as the Knicks looking to go to Atlanta and, and possibly split the series as this one looks to, to go deep, possibly six or seven games. The Utah jazz having, uh, Donovan Mitchell back. Last night, uh, really important for them as they beat Memphis 141-29. Game may be a little closer in the second half than the score indicates at the final as the Grizzlies scored 43 points in the third quarter and had a chance to go into the fourth down one possession if it weren't for a three-point shot by Jordan Clarkson and a foul called and giving him three free throws, and I believe he sank all three. So the Jazz had a six-point lead going to the fourth, and they closed it out beating Memphis and, and evening up the series at one. The Sixers, they go up two games to nothing on the Washington Wizards, led by Ben Simmons, 22 points, nine rebounds, eight assists. They beat the Grizzlies or beat the Warriors, um, the Wizards pretty handily, 120 to 95. So we'll talk about those games. We'll see what maybe some of the series lines are uh, coming up here for Friday and the weekend and talk about the games tonight as well. Uh, also, some incidents last night with fans interacting with the players. Russell Westbrook had popcorn thrown on him, uh, and Trey Young apparently got spat on as well. So we may have some video from that, and we'll discuss what's going on with the fans as they're just getting acclimated back into these professional games and not behaving accordingly. And, and uh, this, this can't be tolerated. You know, this, the fans – uh, they, they can't be throwing stuff on the players. You know, if you want to yell and boo and cheer, that's one thing. But when you start throwing stuff on players, spitting on players, that's uncalled for. 
And, of course, we can't let players go up into the stands, but uh, they get what's coming to them when they act that way, uh, regardless of what that is. Um, if uh, they just better hope they don't see some of these teams and players outside acting that way because they probably have a short night. Uh, but of course, these guys should be banned that get caught doing this for, for life, uh, should never be allowed in a professional arena again. You just can't act that way. You just, you've got to be more mature. You've got to be carry yourself better than that than throwing stuff on players, spitting on players. That's ridiculous. That's bull crap. Uh, and it shouldn't be tolerated at all. And it looked like Russell Westbrook. Uh, was ready to go into the stands once he got that popcorn thrown on him as he was leaving the game a little early with an ankle injury. This guy is one of the hardest playing players in the entire league. He's must-see basketball. He doesn't shoot the ball great percentage-wise, but he gives effort every night. Uh, And he's a triple-double machine. So the guy uh, is a great basketball player. And no professional basketball player, whether you like him or not, deserves to be spat on, thrown on, physically touched or with anything, whether it's a Coke popcorn object, it's just absolutely uncalled for. So we'll, we'll discuss that. We'll react to that a little bit tonight. Also in the NHL here locally, because we broadcast a show here in Las Vegas, the, the Vegas golden Knights looking as one of the favorites to go into these NHL playoffs to hoist the Stanley cup first round matchup against the Minnesota wild, a team they've had problems with since their inception into the NHL. The wild has played them as good as anybody and the wild got game one they won game one at t-mobile arena and then the golden knights rolled off three straight looked like they were going to close the series up at the minnesota wild hang around they win game five uh, on their home ice uh, or at, at uh, t-mobile in vegas and then game six on their home ice they get the win as it was zero zero into the third period uh, the Wild get a goal. The Golden Knights answer that goal, but with uh, goalie interference, that goal taken off the board, and two late goals by the Wild get them game six and even up the series at three games apiece. And a pivotal game seven for this series in the first round, Wild versus the Vegas Golden Knights in the NHL playoffs, and that will take place Friday at the T-Mobile Arena in the first ever game seven in Vegas for this Vegas hockey team at T-Mobile. It should be a really good one. Uh, against two really solid teams and a team that's pretty much had Vegas's number uh, since Vegas has become a pro hockey team here in town. And we'll try to also get to, we've been talking about win totals in the AFC West. We've gotten through uh, a couple teams and we're going to look to go to the Denver Broncos tonight, go over their schedule against the spread. The Westgate Superbook has early lines scheduled for every single game. So we'll talk about the lines that are listed and we'll see how the Denver Broncos shape up in the AFC West. Uh, Spence, Spencer the Wiz, follow him on Twitter and also uh, his Instagram, YouTube, Blue Milk Boys Gaming. Check out all the stuff that he does. He's writing, he's producing for other shows. He has his own show. Uh, He's doing all kinds of stuff. So glad to have him with me here on the rest stop as always. Spence, let's talk, let's start off with the games from last night in the NBA as uh, the Sixers, they get a 2-0 series lead against the Wizards. They pretty much, you called it, Spence. I thought Washington would have a chance to get back in this series. Of course, I'm biased rooting for them, a huge long shot. Uh, I'm wanting them to succeed, but it doesn't look like it's a good matchup against the Sixers. The Sixers win by 25 last night. This has got to be good for Philadelphia as the one overall seed taking a 2-0 lead is giving them a lot of confidence and continuity playing together and trying to feel themselves as, hey, we are the favorites in this conference and we fully expect not only to run through the Wizards but to get to the finals, a place that they 
thought they should have been a couple years ago if it weren't for Toronto, the Toronto Raptors and Kawhi Leonard. Now uh, it looks like this is their division. Of course, the Bucks playing very well. We know the Brooklyn Nets, but the Sixers uh, with home court advantage, they, they've done what they've had to do through two games. Talk about uh, the Sixers last night. Uh, it looks like they have a, a stranglehold on this series, but what does their future look like for the rest of the playoffs? Do they have the ability to take down anybody and what odds would you give them? I know Vegas, I think, has them something like seven to one to win the title. Do you think that's too high, too low? Talk about the Sixers, Spence. Yeah. And, you know, just for the Wizards' sake, we, we were definitely right in that the Wizards would rather have played Brooklyn than they would the 76ers. I think Joel and B shooting like 80% in the series, something just so ridiculous. It's like unheard of. And then Tobias Harris, a apparently has been waiting for this moment his entire life. And part of that you could say is, you know, he's reunited with Doc Rivers and that's, he started the uphill or I should say the climb of his career with the Clippers. That's how he's got it. He got his first big contract and now it's translating, you know, to being successful here. The reality of the situation, if you could take away the end of the season for the Wizards, they were one of the worst defensive teams like ever. The only reason they weren't the worst team is because Portland and I believe Sacramento were like the definitive worst teams on defense in NBA history. So again, if you took those teams out, the Wizards just weren't very good. And when it gets to the playoff, it gets very real. There's a lot of momentum, and that you know means a lot going at the end of the season. But the thing about basketball is like the teams that are good most likely are going to win seven game series. It's just too long, you know. In college basketball, it's in March Madness, it's one and done. So any we all know that anything can happen in one basketball game, but you know, if you were to go to the Y or something like that, and like the good team of the day, like the team that was kind of running house, if they were to, if the only way to get them off the court was to win a best of three, well, they'd probably be there all day. Like that's just, it's not only works in basketball, but that same principle can be applied just in everyday life. Yeah, the 76ers are seven to one. And again, I think the best part about them is the Brooklyn Nets have absolutely nobody to stop a big man. And that includes Giannis Attentacumpo. I know he's a small forward or whatever they play him at, but he's essentially a center. He's an athletic center. So if Joel Embiid's shooting 80% in this series, I mean, he's probably going to shoot something close to that there. The only problem I see in at least the 76ers Brooklyn matchup, if it does end up happening, they're going to need more out of Ben Simmons offensively. I just don't know if he's physically capable of doing that. Clearly, Tobias Harris has been better than any of us has suspected, and I also would expect him to be very good in the Brooklyn series. I mean, they just Brooklyn just doesn't have defenders. Their philosophy is we're just literally going to outscore you, and very few teams are going to be able to do that. Now, the 76ers have loaded themselves up pretty successfully. You know, Seth Curry was a great addition, uh, and you can go down the list. I mean, they were built their team around athletic forwards, and now it's more about shooting guards. Danny Green would be another great example of that. So... I mean, technically, there's a ton of value. The only reason they're probably not way closer is because of the existence of the Brooklyn Nets. They drive everybody's odds down. Right. Brooklyn's obviously the favorite right now. I don't know what their number is exactly, but if you were to take them out of the equation. Two to one plus 180, something like that. Right. So if you were to just like take that out and be like, okay, if the Brooklyn Nets didn't exist, how would you adjust the odds? They would probably, what, second favorites, probably even more than Milwaukee, which is crazy to think about. So. If you can get them now, I mean, why not? Because technically they take advantage of what Brooklyn does the worst. And I think they can match up with anybody that comes out of the West. The Lakers would be pretty tough, but we'll have to see, you know, if they're able to stay through the playoffs pretty healthy. But anyone else, I'd say they have the advantage over and they'd probably be favorites. Anybody but the Lakers come out of the West, they'd probably be favorites in the finals. 
And you mentioned the addition of Seth Curry. Love that addition. He can shoot the ball as good as anybody. And Ferran Korkmaz coming off the bench. This guy can light it up for three. So you've got guys. And if Tobias Harris is hitting his three, you've got guys like Simmons and Embiid who can attract the defense down low. You get these shooters involved. And if they even shoot decently, you know, we talked about teams that were, were dreadful from three-point range. If the Sixers can just hit between eight and 15, that's, I think that's a sufficient amount and get to the free throw line. Um, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be really fun to watch. I've thought the Sixers, we've been trying to trust the par- process with Joel Embiid. I think he's one of the most talented players in the entire league. It just hasn't worked in their favor over the last few years. And the Milwaukee can say the same thing. They've made some additions to try to put themselves. And of course the Brooklyn Nets threw a wrench and all that by essentially building a, uh, a modern day super team. So we thought, but we, like you mentioned, Spence, they don't play great defense. They have so far in this series, but I'd really love to see the Sixers Brooklyn matchup and, and see somebody like a Ben Simmons on a Joe, uh, I'm sorry, Ben Simmons on a Kevin Durant. And then, uh, you know, of course they'd have a tough matchup with Kyrie, but we still don't know how reliable Kyrie is going to be consistently throughout these playoffs. James Harden, we know what he can do. So it, Look, they were lucky to get game one against Boston. They were so bad in the first half, but they're that good. So that's what makes these playoffs so fantastic to watch, Spence, because we continue to see new storylines after each game, teams stepping up and really uh, trying to put it in another gear come playoff time. And there's so much talent. I mean, we talk about it left and right, and we'll talk about it as we cover some of the, some more of the games, the, the young talent, the uh, the veteran talent just up and down the NBA, how amazing it is with, with some of these guys. And that's why you you talked about it, Spence. It's going to be tough in a seven-game series uh, for a team that's not arguably the best team to come out on. I think I hope it's not me, but I think Brad is frozen. I hope I'm not talking over him right now. Uh, but I don't even know where he wants to go with this. I don't know what his point he was trying to make. But yeah, Brooklyn's just going to be a tough out no matter what. And hopefully, uh, I may have to text him to see if it's me or him. Uh, I I don't think I'm frozen. Oh, I'm sorry. We're, it was probably me. I was just confused. It looked like you were frozen. So I, I no, uh, it, no, sorry. it wasn't you. It was me too. Uh, it, it said on my side that we lost internet connection. So um, hopefully it's it's come back now. It looks like it's straightened itself. <laughs> I don't think it's straightened itself out. Uh <laughs> He's got a funny look on his face. It's so funny, like working in this kind of industry, by the way, just like the whole ordeal of technology is like all of the technology is there, uh, you know, but for the most part, the only thing that's holding it back is like the whole technical issue side of it. Uh, it's just something that's I because I've been working, I think, for a little over a year now in total, like in media. And there we go. <laughs> Yeah, Spence, uh, this really sucks doing trying to do a live podcast and you get knocked off the internet twice. So we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see how long we stay on this time. But uh, it's yeah, like a mystery, unbelievable. Um, that's technology for you. So yeah, so much young talent in the NBA, and you you talked about seven game series. 
it's cliche. You, you just want to try to take every game as serious as possible. Like it's your last game. It's so easier said than done. Uh, but with some of the games that happened uh, last night and, and we'll continue to, to go down that list, let's, let's jump into the late game last night because I'm dying to talk about this young stud. The Grizzlies had a one, nothing series lead. The jazz get home. They get Donovan Mitchell back. They have an amazing first half. Uh, really having a 25-plus point lead on Memphis. Memphis roars back in the third quarter. Like I mentioned at the outset, Spence, they were down only three points with under a minute left in the third quarter. And then a three-point shot by Jordan Clarkson. There was a foul called on the jump shooter. And and to me, that was the the absolute turning point. You can say what you will, but going down one possession, that kind of confidence into the fourth, I think it really could have been up in the air. But instead, it became a six-point game. Could have been a nine-point game as Jordan Clarkson had the last shot of the quarter, hit front rim, and then Utah took control in the fourth, outscoring Memphis 38-32, getting the win 141-129. But Spence, John Morant in the loss, 47 points, seven assists, four rebounds. This is your team. This is your guy. Uh, I heard it on NBA radio today that a lot of guys giving praise to John Morant about him doing what he does best. He's not trying to be – James Harden or Steph Curry is being the, the best John Moran he can be. And what that means is utilizing his elite athleticism, getting to the basket and getting to the free throw line. And he's been outstanding at that. And he's also a fairly good passer. He's a great ball handler, a good passer. Um, and he is as explosive as they come. I know you, you're losing a little confidence that the Grizzlies can win this series, but to make the comeback they made on the road, Spence, down 25 plus, getting it to within one possession, Heading into the fourth was pretty damn impressive to me. This team is young, one of the youngest teams in the league. Uh, you know, you could say what you want. Memphis has had a, or, or not Memphis, Utah's had an easy time, so to speak, up to this point in the regular season. I think this is going to be a, a tough series. This is no slam dunk for Utah, and they saw that in the third quarter of last night's game. You've got to be very happy as a Grizzlies fan, not only with John Morant, but the young future of this team with young head coach Taylor Jenkins, John Morant, as the face of this franchise, this team uh, could could be uh, what with a few additions what the Toronto Raptors were a few years ago. I know the West is so tough, but LeBron James down the home stretch of his career, these young superstars are becoming the face of the league, and John Morant is supplanting himself as one of those faces. Yeah, I've been I've been really thinking about this Memphis team and just how crazy of a run this has been. Because think about small market teams. First of all, they don't win NBA titles. That's probably the biggest thing. Like Toronto just kind of broke the mold on that. Uh, but to me, like during that time, 2011, when they you know took out the San Antonio Spurs of the A seed and that run that lasted until like 2016, let's say, that's pretty special. I mean, for most guys, most players, like when you look at it, I'm trying to go down like some of the more smaller market teams, but they don't go to conference finals. Some of them don't even make the playoffs. Look at the Charlotte Hornets, for example. They've just been legitimately bad forever. So I have the pleasure of my small town that I grew up in and seeing that small market team be very good. I, I feel like I have to just kind of accept that. So when the regime is over, you expect there's going to be a long buildup because small market teams don't get free agents and they have to do it through the draft and you just can't hit every draft pick that you get. Well, Memphis, for some reason and somehow... Well, I guess since they demoted Chris Wallace, which I wanted them to do since I was a child, uh, and they brought in some new faces to the front office, they've made so many great decisions, right? You trade Mike Conley for uh, Grayson Allen and a first-round pick. 
which turns into Brandon Clark. Okay, well, you've just set your franchise up pretty darn well. And then you get Jaron Jackson. You get lucky with John Morant. Those are all very great things. Like, not lucky to have drafted him. He was the definitive, probably second best player in the draft or consensus him between RJ Barrett, but they were moved up significantly. They should not have been there. Like, they were the the benefactors of the whole lottery system and then this year what do you do well you don't even have a first round pick but somehow you you trade up to get desmond bain and you also get xavier tillman xavier tillman hit a huge corner three in game one i mean and then desmond bain hit like one of the game clinching shots too on the dunk in that utah game so you're getting contributions from these super young guys and then also if you look back even further like during that time when they were building up with jaron jackson that year they got dylan brooks I criticize him a lot because he takes really bad shots, but he's clearly def- made himself a pretty well-defined defender, defending the team's best player. And just statistically, the way he played against DeMar DeRozan, the way he played against Luka Doncic at the, at the end of the season, forcing Curry to put up way too many shots for the kind of numbers that he was putting up. I mean, it's been something special. And obviously, he loves the moments. He like looks like he wants to fight everybody at all moments. So you bring that all together. Again, Mike Conley, Marcus Zach Randolph, and now you have, I don't even know, I mean, I guess John Morant, Jaron Jackson, and Jonas Valanciunas, but how valuable is Kyle Anderson and Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman? Uh, Brandon Clark, I barely even mentioned. I think he's been hurt. I don't even know why he's not getting minutes. So when you pull that all together and you have this team that, you know, it's young, so you're like, okay, there's a lot of great young pieces, but what does that even mean? Well, they've just made the playoffs, and John Morant in year two has gone from not playing well in important games like even at the end of the season, he didn't play well against Golden State. And you could say to a certain extent, the San Antonio Spurs to now scoring 47 points in a playoff game. I mean, this is just an accelerated rebuild that I mean, is rarely ever seen. Like, I don't think I've ever seen it. This is like insane what they're doing. Toronto had built like they're a small market team, but that was built up over like my lifetime. The DeMar DeRozan Kyle Lowry days. I mean, I feel like that's like what they were together for like 10 years. And then at the very end, when they had all the pieces together, they did this. So not from the third youngest team in the league. I don't expect him to win this series. I don't expect it to actually be all that competitive moving forward. But that's okay. To have the foundation of winning two really important games to make the playoffs, like I was happy they're getting any playoff experience. And then to win game one, they may lose out. I mean, they may lose the next three games, but that's okay because John Morant next year will be 22 years old. Jaron Jackson will be like 23. I mean, when you... If they just were to add like one more player, I know Kawhi Leonard's a free agent. I don't think they're going to get someone like that. But let's say down the road, Brandon Ingram's a free agent, and he looks to be the final piece to another team. If the Grizzlies have that kind of foundation and they add someone, which is what they desperately need, is a small forward who can make really tough shots because John Morant scored 47, but he's just not an amazing shot creator and shot maker. And Jaron Jackson, you could say in the same way. And that's what Kawhi Leonard did to the Toronto Raptors, you could say. So very happy about this team. I just think... The Utah Jazz have been so good this season. They shot so uncharacteristically bad in game one, and then they shoot really well in game two. I'm not sure they'll shoot that well again, but I'm not sure Memphis could keep up offensively uh, with them just because they're not developed enough talent-wise to do that. But they play with a lot of grit. Maybe not the grind part of it. They play a lot faster. The grit has certainly stayed, and I get a lot of vibes. That same 2011 team where no one gave them a shot in the world, but they just love to play out there, and they play hard for each other. And Spence, look at teams like the Utah Jazz, like the Phoenix Suns. The Suns were on the outside looking in in the playoffs last year, uh, added a piece like Chris Paul, and they're the top two seed in the league. The Utah Jazz in the last five to ten years weren't looking at a team that was going to be the number one seed 
in the Western Conference. So we saw what happened with Denver, the injury to Jamal Murray. I talked about my thoughts on LeBron James. I don't think the Lakers uh, are going to definitively be the best team in the West moving forward year in and year out. That's my opinion. So I think there is a chance for a team like Memphis to add another piece and continue to draft well and be the Phoenix Suns or the Utah Jazz in the West in the next few years where they're competing for a top three seed. And you, John Moran is so special, Spence. This guy's athleticism. And let me ask you this comparison and what your thoughts are. Give me your honest thoughts. The Derrick Rose MVP years, his explosiveness, his ability to get to the rack, the game seems a little similar. Derrick Rose wasn't necessarily a three-point or shooting threat, but, man, he was such an athletic and explosive threat. And that ability and athleticism is what carried him to, to being the, one of the best young players in the league. And I see a lot of similarities between that MVP Derrick Rose and John Moran. What are your thoughts on that comparison? No, I'm glad you said that because I was actually planning on saying that during my whole rant there that I went on seemingly forever. But no, for sure. Like Derek Rose is was truly a one of a kind. I don't think there's ever been a player like him. Just explosive athleticism, a bit quicker. I mean, Westbrook tried to affect the game in all levels and he wanted to be involved so much. But Derek Rose attacked the game just a little differently. And he's become a lot smarter now. And the thing is, is I think John Morant saw the foundation of Derrick Rose and like the ability, but he's defined himself like with, I don't know, like better shooting. He kind of understands like the whole turnover side of it. So I really, I mean, Derrick Rose in a sense was the sacrificial lamb for him. And I think he has modeled the game after that, but I think he knows what to prove upon a lot more. And hopefully like, and this is the more important part beyond all of that, because we know John Morant's just so skilled and he'll get better is taking care of his body a lot better medical science has just advanced so much since Derrick Rose's time. He didn't know when he was dunking like crazy what it was doing to his knees until it was way too late. And to see how good Derrick Rose is playing now, by the way, if he had stayed healthy, I mean, he obviously was the youngest MVP. So we know he was pretty darn good as the foundation. But if this Derrick Rose, how smart he is now and the way he takes care of himself, if you combine that with athleticism at the time, I mean, gosh, he would would certainly be not he would certainly not be coming off the bench for a basketball team right now. He would be starting and being one of the most important players in the playoffs, in my opinion. Spencer, I'm pretty sure you and me had the discussion not that long ago about the Hall of, a Hall of Fame career for Derrick Rose. Um, man, he yes, he uh, he certainly is accelerating that conversation from when we had it before. Uh, we weren't really sure what his role would be in the NBA from that point, but man reuniting with Tom Thibodeau and having the garden fired up for the Knicks. And, and that's the next game of last night that we're going to cover the Knicks, even the series at one game apiece, Spence. They win at 101-92. The Hawks had control in the first half of that game, up by double digits, a ferocious third quarter from the Knicks, outscoring Atlanta 32-18. When Trey Young went to the bench, uh, Derek Rose actually started the second half at point guard for Alfred Payton. He finished the game with 26 points, four rebounds, four assists. 9 of 21 from the field, but that didn't really tell the story of the impact he had on the game. Just him being on the floor, those four rebounds were key rebounds. He had a few of those in the second half and just made some timely shots and decisions, Spence. We talked about Derrick Rose uh, quite a bit. He is, he, without question, is an enormous leader on this young Knicks team. And it's so great to see him on that floor with that Knicks crowd going crazy. And you talked about how he's – 
changed his game over the years. He's had to. I mean, this guy's been in the league over a decade, had some serious injuries. Um, he can't put the wear and tear on his body like he did before. He's got to kind of preserve himself to stay in the league at this point. And he's he's been a really big clutch shot maker, better free throw shooter than he was earlier in his career. And he can still get to the cup off the dribble and kick the shooters. So um, continue to talk about Derrick Rose a little bit more. And then what are your thoughts on him? starting game three or starting moving forward what do you think the Knicks should do what do you think the right move is uh to to help this Knicks ball club at be at their best yeah I, I talked about it last uh show and how great he was in game one but he did have one key stat to me that he had to clean up on he had five turnovers and they were not very there's no such thing as a good turnover I suppose but they were pretty ugly I should say in game one from what I observed he only had one in game two on top, he didn't shoot amazingly, but I mean that this kind of series is ugly. So I don't expect anybody to shoot over fifty percent consistently. I don't think anybody has actually. I'd be curious to look at the stats to see if anybody's uh, who's shot who shoots like at least let's say seven times a game. If any of them are close to fifty percent, I doubt it. So he he's kind of in that lineage. He it's the threat of Derrick Rose that is helping them the most. And the reality situation is Alfred Payton killed them in Game One. I mean, some of his minutes you could say Julius Randle was the main factor. But he wasn't the sole reason they lost. I mean, Alfred Payton was just playing really bad basketball. And when Derrick Rose came in, it was just a little too little too late. One of my favorite bets, actually, of the entire postseason, and I'm glad it hit, was in Game 2, Derrick Rose's point total, his over-under, was 17.5. And, and if you look at Derrick Rose's point-to-minute ratio, I don't even know if that's a stat that anybody tracks or cares about. It was pretty high, way above that pace. And he had right around that in Game 1, but I'm thinking – Look, this is Tom Thibodeau, so we know they have a lot of chemistry together. He was the coach during his MVP season, of course. He's just going to trust him a lot more. And when you have that short lease on a guy like Alfred Payton, who played pretty decent in the regular season, okay, especially defensively, he was really good. But if he's not going to provide that for you, we would rather have Derrick Rose a lot more. He played like 30-something minutes Derrick Rose in game two, and I expect that to keep going forward. And the great part about it is Derrick Rose isn't doing those crazy dunks anymore. He's getting to the lane. He's still athletic enough, and he can now play those 30-minute games. It killed him earlier in his career, and it literally almost ended his career. But now that the way he plays, he's looking to be more of a facilitator because he has that mindset. He has that skill set, and it's showing on the court. I mean, Julius Randle, for whatever reason, doesn't seem ready to step up to the challenge. I would Maybe getting away from New York actually might be the best thing for Julius Randle. It could be the crowd that he's just feeling a little nervous about. So when it's in Atlanta and he's more of the villain, that could help him play into it. We know Julius Randle, like throughout the season, and you could even say, I think last year has dominated them. They don't really have anyone to match up. I think they've been putting Clint Capella. He's just faster than him. So he should be able to take advantage. But Without a doubt, the most important player, whether the Knicks win it or not, is Derrick Rose. R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle have not been what they need them to be uh, so far. But you could say that's also a good thing because they won game two besides that. And <laughs> I guess I'm still a little bitter because I lost one of my best tickets of the year because the Knicks didn't cover that minus two spread in game one. Uh, but yeah, Derrick Rose, man, it's really fun to watch. The fact that he's on the Knicks, too, in front of the 15,000, it's just almost too pitcher perfect, honestly. Spence, Derrick Rose led both teams in minutes last night with 39 minutes, and Taj Gibson had 30 minutes for the Knicks also. So a little bit of a Bulls-Thibodeau reunion with Gibson and Rose. These guys are playing really huge parts for the Knicks' success 
especially in the playoffs. Gibson had a huge rebound, put back dunk late in the fourth quarter. He only had 6.7 rebounds statistically, but his couple of his buckets were really huge. Uh, you mentioned R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle's struggles. These guys aren't getting it going offensively. Reggie Bullock was 4 of 7 from 3. He had 15 points. Obi Toppin in the beginning of the fourth quarter had a huge alley-oop dunk running the floor that really ignited the garden crowd. Uh, Spence, so, you know, that was last night's NBA matchups. The Knicks even the series at 1. The Jazz even the series at 1. And the Sixers, they take a commanding 2-0 series lead. Do we have any uh, highlights or videos from last night? Or should we get uh, into... Yeah, we can. I don't know if you want to go into. Uh, I don't really have any highlights from last night, but uh, well, we can get into the, uh, the 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 fan issues last night. Of course, Russell Westbrook left the game a little early. Mentioned that at the top of the show, got popcorn thrown on him, and then Trey Young apparently spat on or in his vicinity in the Knicks game. Just uh, really un, uncalled for behavior uh, by fans, especially just getting themselves back in the stadium. It's they can't do this. I don't know what they're thinking bunch of dopes have been uh, closeted up in the house for a year and a half and they can't behave themselves in public. Uh, Spence, do you have a little video from the uh, incident at the garden with Trey Young? Yeah, we'll start with Trey Young here. Yeah, it was a quick, a quick clip, but if you looked over his right shoulder, it would have been to your left looking ahead on the screen. Play it one more time, Spence. You can kind of see it. Uh, you know, happening. Go ahead and play the Trey Young clip one more time. Yeah, just uh, uncalled for behavior by the fans. Do you have anything from the Westbrook scene? Yep. We're leading him off the floor. Fans, come out and cheer. Come out and boo. Yell all you want. We encourage that. This is just plain stupidity. Somebody points to popcorn and... Any athlete, being Westbrook or whomever, they are pumped with their adrenaline. He's probably feeling bad. His team may be en route here to losing this game, too. Just a stupid thing to do. Yeah, Spence, you saw Westbrook kind of lose it there for a second. Highly charged, emotional in the playoffs. Uh, Give your thoughts on uh, this behavior by the fans. What do you think needs to happen? Yeah, I mean... What needs to happen? The NBA came out with more restrictive fan whatever. I mean, the reality of the situation is anybody can do that at any time. Anybody can, they're not going to restrict people from buying popcorn. So if someone wants to buy a seat right there where they could throw it or, you know, whatever. I mean, the seats are pretty spread out. You probably run there when you feel like it's time. There's never going to be a way to stop it altogether. I mean, you ban the guy. I think the important part of the situation in reality is, like everyone's saying, oh, you got to put them in jail. Like they got to face some real punishment. I mean, objectively, yes, but here's the problem. If you take it to court, the guy's name will get leaked like almost immediately, right? And I would imagine somebody who's willing to, maybe not the popcorn guy, like in terms of like how scared he is to go to jail, because that's like much less offensive than spitting on somebody. But I'm saying for the guy who's spitting on somebody, I don't think jail is a deterrent. I think the idea that this guy will get famous from it is probably pretty exciting to him. Now, the popcorn thing, it might just be a moment of passion. It's kind of like I would be upset, too. And I'm sure he like Westbrook was probably even more charged because they were losing the game. And it was a game that kind of wanted to win and needed to win, quite frankly, because they're just not going to win. They're just not going to dominate for the next five games. It's just impossible almost unless there's an injury. Knock on wood because I hate injuries in basketball. Uh, so 
I mean, it's much more serious. So you ban the guys indefinitely and you make sure no one ever mentions it ever again. I feel like that's kind of the best way to go about it. Don't give these guys notoriety. I feel like that's a huge thing, a huge problem in our society is that we highlight these people and bad fame is good fame according, like uh, when it comes to clicks and, and fame to me. I, I don't know how you feel about that. No, I actually, I like the point you make there, Spence. There's no need to give these guys more ammunition, more notoriety uh, to, to their actions. Um, so, but, but that leads to the question, what is a deterrent for guys like this or people like this? Just no attention, really. That, like, think about internet trolls, and that's such a funny word. People use it so much as like this general thing. But the only reason they do it is because people retaliate. Otherwise, they get no benefit out of it. They probably don't get enough attention in their life. So this is a way for them to do it. Just like, you know, uh, BuzzFeed or whatever. I can't think of the name now. Makes money from making like egregious headlines. They get paid per click. So whether or not you're clicking because you're angry or whether or not you're clicking because you're interested, it doesn't matter to them. It doesn't matter to the algorithm. It's the same thing for these people. If they don't get attention for the actions they do, they'll find somewhere else to get attention. That's just kind of how it works, I at least to me. No, I can't agree with you. I, I can't disagree with you there. That's Spencer Ostrowski. Follow him on Twitter at Spencer the Wiz. Brad Restituto, the rest stop every Tuesday and Thursday, 9 to 10 o'clock Pacific time. A couple games still in progress in the NBA playoffs, game three. It looks like the Lakers uh, are going to go up two games to one. They've got a 10-point lead on the Phoenix Suns. Phoenix has tried to make a run but just can't quite get over the hurdle there. Uh, the Lakers leading 101-91, and the Nuggets leading Portland in Portland 91 86. Jokic has got 30 points for Denver. Earlier tonight, the Milwaukee Bucks 113-84 over the Heat. They've got a commanding 3-0 series lead. And we talked about in the East Bent. What about the Milwaukee Bucks? The addition of Holiday has been huge for them. Drew Holiday, uh, PJ Tucker on the defensive side. He's an important factor. They've added some guys that make them better. Uh, this is a team that was knocked out by this Heat squad last year uh let me try to take a look at what their matchup may be in the second round but give me your thoughts on the miami heat spence yeah so the big bet going into this game was teams that are down 0-2 going home are great bets in the first half i think they hit like 65 percent of the time i'm not a huge fan of those kinds of statistics because you're basically clumping a lot of teams together that have drastically different situations and from the eye test, and Milwaukee was – I put them on my ticket to win the whole entire game. I was also thinking about doing first half because I just felt like it was too easy. The line was just too spread out. But anyways, the Heat were favored by one. I think maybe one or one and a half in the first half, but you know, uh, not favored to win the game, which is pretty unique. And obviously, also when those kinds of stats become public knowledge, because I didn't know about it until today, it just doesn't seem to work out. It's like now that it's out in the ether, it's too noticeable, right? And no one can actually benefit from it. My philosophy in business, by the way, is if you've heard about it, it's too late. Uh, and it seems to be the case here. But I just thought they gave up. I mean, the game one was so close, but I think they may have given everything in game one. And they felt like if they didn't win that one, then it was it for them. And game two has certainly seemed that way. And for what I saw, I don't know how you can recover from such a bad performance. Getting outscored by 40, like not outscored, but I think Milwaukee scored 46 points in the first quarter. It's hard to just turn that off. Now, I know a loss is a loss, meaning in the series, oh, you lose one game and now they're down 0-2. And if they lost by one, they still be down 0-2. But just mentally, I mean, just thinking about what they, that did to them. And the thing about it is Milwaukee wants this series. 
they feel really bad about losing that series against Miami last year. That's on the back of their mind. They're not privileged. They said, look, we're circling this. This is a great first-round matchup because, A, Miami just hasn't been good that year, and now we can finally exercise some of our demons. And it sure feels like they are exercising their demons. I also think Milwaukee just changed the way that they played the game. For many years, it was, let's put the ball in Giannis's hand and just see what happens. Look, at <laughs> Whether they want to admit it or not, and I think they finally did, Giannis just isn't good in the half court. He can be effective, but clearly in game one, he shot like 0 from 13 from anywhere outside of the paint. They need the ball to be in Drew Holiday's hands, in Chris Middleton's hands, and probably P.J. Tucker's a lot more than Giannis. Look, in the open court, he's going to score 20 to 24 points a game, it feels like, in the open court, just because it's just impossible to stop him. He's just so big. He's either going to get to the foul line, which he hasn't been shooting great at, but or he's going to dunk the ball, and more often that because it's, how how do you foul Giannis without it stopping and beating his progress? I don't know. I couldn't, and I'm sure a lot of NBA guys couldn't either. I love the way that they're making up their team. They sacrificed a lot in the regular season. They could have been the first seed, I feel like, if they really wanted to, but they were experimenting. In the beginning of the season, Giannis was like, look, I know this doesn't look great, and the fans aren't happy, and a lot of people may doubt us, but we want to be good in the playoffs. We don't want to be good in the regular season anymore. They dominated it right for the two seasons prior. Obviously the regular season doesn't matter to so many teams. The the Lakers might make the finals of the seventh seed, like the lowest seed ever to do that. And I think teams are finally starting to realize that the regular season is more of a time to experiment than it is to be so serious and to overdo yourself. The the 73 win warriors are the greatest example of that to me. That's a good point there, Spence. Let's talk about Friday's action um, NBA playoffs for tomorrow. Game three in Atlanta. The Knicks will travel to Atlanta. Atlanta's going to be sitting as a four-point favorite. Uh, Trey Young's been very good in this series, Spence. They will have the Garden crowd behind them. Uh, I, I think Atlanta takes this game three at home, and I think they cover the spread. The over-under sitting at 211. It's been defensive battle in this series, and uh, – I'll probably stay away from the over-under, but I think the Hawks could cover. What are your thoughts on game three, Hawks-Knicks? Yeah, this is the most important game for the eye test in the entire playoffs for me, which, well, maybe the Denver Nuggets-Portland series you could say also, but I'm staying away from this game personally because I have no idea how either team's going to respond. Atlanta has a very big game, and then, you know, understandably so, the New York Knicks rebound because they're at home, they're desperate, and the crowd really helped them there. This is like even keel for me. Like, Atlanta, have you ever seen Atlanta like get up? <laughs> I don't know. Like their fans just don't seem to be that kind of base to sway the decision of a game. They will obviously help them to a certain extent, but I don't think they're going to win because the crowd is so much behind them. So it's really kind of an even playing ground. I'm going to watch the game pretty intently, see what kind of results. I mean, there's always stats that you can bounce out, but I, the reason, well, <laughs> I shouldn't say so successful, but the reason I think I win a lot of my NBA bets is because and you too, we, we kind of understand the game from a fundamental level. We may not be able to play up to the level of some professional guys, but I think we get it. And like watching the game and just seeing maybe matchups, the way guys' body language are, like those things really matter to me. And that's what I'll be watching tomorrow. But if I had to take a gut guess, I'm going to say Atlanta probably takes this game. But again, I'm not putting money on it. There you go, Spence. The next game, it'll be ABC game, 530 Pacific tip in Boston. The Nets will take on the Celtics and... I kind of think the Celtics may be demoralized at this point, down two to nothing. Spent, they'd have to have a heroic effort 
not only from Kemba Walker, but Jason Tatum. They don't, they just don't seem to match up well and they don't have enough firepower to take on the Nets. Uh, the Nets will be a road seven and a half point favorite. They just got so many guys that can fill up the basket top to bottom. Their defense has been better in this series. Um, I probably won't mess with the number of, especially as a road seven and a half, but I do think the Nets get the victory. I think they have a chance to sweep this series. What are your thoughts, Spence? Yeah, the thing is, is for sure, like on paper, the Celtics don't have the firepower and everyone else just isn't playing. They just don't seem focused too. I love this number, by the way. This is kind of my favorite game of the day. Now that you say it out loud, I think the Nets probably crush them. Now, Boston always has a great crowd, so they're always going to be kind of a factor, a few points here and there for, you know, for, um, I can't think, going on runs, excuse me. Uh, But when I see Evan Fournier kind of fight with Kevin Durant, you kind of think that's a good thing. But to me, it just shows that like, ah, they're just not all there. And there's other times where they're not giving enough effort. I think Brad Stevens has like lost their locker room. And it's been a long time coming. I mean, the Kyrie days where it just it didn't seem to work out. We say, okay, it's Kyrie's fault. And then as you go forward, I mean, the thing, I, I probably talked about this a thousand times before, but when you look at Taylor Jenkins for a team that's young. They need Taylor Jenkins, right, to be the voice of leadership for them. And then hopefully as your players get older, they're kind of take that responsibility. And the Celtics, by all means, in, in my opinion, at least like the guys who are at the top are pretty young. Kemba Walker, for whatever reason, is just not what they thought he was. He's not a leader. So that means the responsibility falls on Jason Tatum. And maybe he's not ready for that role. And clearly he's not. So what does that leave? Brad Stevens. And they just don't look to Brad Stevens when they need him to. So I don't have confidence in them. And they don't seem to even be interested in playing in this series anymore. I don't know if they think it's just because they don't they can't do it. But it's it could be a many different things. We don't know what's going on inside the day-to-day or even inside their head. That's always going to be part of it, too. I think Brooklyn just sweeps them. And I don't think it's close. We're not only on the court losing Jalen Brown, but psychologically it's just not good for, for the Boston Celtics. And it's not a good matchup with, with the Nets, the big three getting going in the first series. The the Nets, uh, I agree, Spence. I think they'll probably sweep this series and uh, get one tomorrow night at the Garden. Spence, in one of the more surprising series thus far because it's been on the road, the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic has come, have come out and they've taken two from the Clippers at Staples Center. They will have game three at American Airlines Center in Dallas tomorrow, ESPN game, 6.30 Pacific time. The Clippers will be a road two-point favorite as they're looking for L.A. to get back on track. You hate to say must win, but this if there's ever been a must win in the playoffs this early on, it's got to be the Clippers after dropping two at home. They've got they've got to take game three. They can, cannot afford to go down three-nothing, already losing home court. Uh, to Doncic in the Mavs. Talk about this game three. And look, we've talked how amazing Luka Doncic is. Spence, I don't even think you could have predicted the Mavericks to come out 2 nothing in this series. And really, Luka going into another gear in his second playoff appearance. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I now I, I'm thinking out loud here, but I got the Clippers to make it to the finals at 3-1, to one, which I think is pretty good. Uh, well, now it's probably a little different, right? Because now it's probably different because they're down 0-2, obviously. But, you know, at the time, it was really good going into the playoffs. I almost feel like I should hedge my bet and bet a lot of money on Dallas to win the series just straight up. Because either, to me, if the Clippers find a way to claw back out of the series, they're probably going straight to the finals. That kind of confidence of, like, everybody yeah. doubts you. And that's what the Clippers need so badly. I was talking about this with McKenzie from pregame and straight out of Vegas in that the Miami Heat, 
they, they took on the villain role. They may not have been villains in actuality, but man, did they sure embrace that. And that's what drove them. When you're so good, you need something to drive you or else it just becomes really monotonous. And I think that's what the Clippers have had. So now that everybody is so against the Clippers and now that they're down 0-2, no one thinks they have a chance, that might be the driving force for them. Or Dallas wins a series and I win a lot of money. So really, I, I mean, I'm that or I double down right now. I take the 18 and, or yeah, I think it's, 15 or 18 to one, depending on where you bet it for the Clippers to win the NBA championship. It's like, it depends on how confident you are. Here's the problem. I mean, there's no doubt that the Clippers have the roster needed to make a run. Like they're probably to me, they're the most talent. Well, <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets take that. Now I was thinking like earlier in the season, but in the West, they have the most talented roster. I mean, Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Marcus Morris. I mean, Pat, Pat Beverly. And again, so on and so forth, right? There's just, Nicholas Batum I didn't even mention he's been so good for them so we know they have the guys here's the thing Kawhi Leonard needs to step up and he's never done this in his career like leadership wise so it's like you're asking him to change the way he's played his entire career at down 0-2 but maybe that's the motivation that he needs they need to stop switching so damn much everything they're going under look if, if I was the coach, and I know it's easier to said than done, I don't have any coaching experience, but just from what I'm watching in the game, Kawhi needs to play primarily on Luka Doncic. Luka Doncic is pretty big, so I think Kawhi can stay with him. Go under on every screen. Luka Doncic is not an above-average three-point shooter. I think he shoots like 32 36%, somewhere between that and his career. So if you lose because Luka Doncic goes 6 from 12 from three-point range, at some point you have to accept that. When you play against such talented teams, there's some things you have to give up. I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets. I mean, it's crazy to think, like, I don't even know how I would even approach guarding them. But at the very least, you would say you try to leave Joe Harris or whoever open or contest them the best you can just because you don't want to leave that to everybody else. You don't want to give wide open threes to Kyrie James Harden or Kevin Durant. So if the Clippers, if you have Kawhi and you're going under, at least take an aspect away from his game away. Like maybe like you really close in on the passing lanes and you go under on all his screens. That forces, because eventually you're going to have to adjust, right? They're like, okay, the passing lanes aren't open. They're not open. Simple as that. So you have to facilitate the ball to somebody else, and then they're forced to create. And I don't think they have any other uh, creator on their team. I mean, Jalen Brunson maybe, but how many minutes is he going to play in the playoffs? Are they really going to depend? Are, do you really think that Jalen Brunson is going to be the world beater to beat you, to facilitate to everybody else? I don't think so. He's just a role player. So if they can keep that mentality of, Hey, let's not go. Let's not just switch everything and have these mismatches. And Luca's clearly taking advantage of it. Let's give up the three pointer to him. Let's close in on the passing lanes and let Kawhi Leonard go to work on him because we know he can be a world class defender. He just they just haven't shown that yet, like as a team, because they've been getting killed on defense. I think the Dallas Mavericks are shooting something like fifty percent from uh, three point range, which of course they never did in, in the uh, regular season either. So on top of that, you would also expect that Dallas naturally is not going to shoot as well in Game Three. So, I mean, I like the Clippers, at least uh, for this game. We'll see. Maybe they just lose and it falls apart. Well, that's what I was going to ask you, Spence. So, you see the, say the Clippers get right in game three and take one at American Airlines in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, that's a short line. So, look, I thought the desperate factor would kick in in game two, uh, but clearly it didn't. They needed more motivation, and this might be it for sure. I just think they're so talented, it's impossible for them to go down 0-3, even though it, it is not possible. It's just like, come on, man. The Clippers, have, they have to get it together at some point. I don't know why yeah. they hired Ty Lue. I think he's horrible for the situation, but yeah. 
Spencer, I think you may be on to something here. This could actually be one of the better bets in the entire playoffs, On even though it's on the road and everybody's on the Dallas hype train right now. With a short number, this could be a real spot to take the Clippers. So I may I may have to look at that myself, Spence. Um, Spence, let's talk uh, – let's transition to NHL hockey uh, because here in Vegas, the Golden Knights are the team. They're the first ever professional franchise uh, of one of the major sports. They had an amazing inaugural year. And this year, high expectations with, uh, I believe it's his second year, Pete DeBoer as the uh, head coach. Well, they're facing the Minnesota Wild to open up the playoffs, a team that's had their number from the very beginning. And it looked like VGK, after getting off to a slow start in game one and and losing that game to the Wild, they won three straight. But the Wild have since pulled off two in a row and have forced a game seven in the first round of the NHL playoffs. Vegas Golden Knights, Minnesota Wild, tomorrow evening, at the Fortress T-Mobile Arena. Spence, this is the first ever Game 7 at T-Mobile for the Golden Knights against a team that has their number that I believe is 3-0 on the road in Game 7s in the last few years, the Minnesota Wild. So what are your thoughts on the Wild pushing it to 7 and what may happen uh, here at T-Mobile tomorrow night? Yeah, I don't think Minnesota can challenge for a Stanley Cup, quite honestly. And if I were to compare this to anything in basketball, it's just my best, you know, base of reference. Milwaukee should have never, like in 2019, the playoffs, I should say, last year's playoffs, uh, Miami had no business beating Milwaukee, but there's just a mismatch for them, right? And the thing about Minnesota is they have so many deep lines, and usually the Golden Knights don't have a top five player. Mark Stone, maybe, but he's only shown up in spots, so... Like the thing is, is I'm forming my opinion on, on hockey every single season. So I can't I can't give you like that kind of deep analysis. Like this is what they should do. Like I just went over a game plan for Luka Doncic, like something so specific. I don't know exactly about that. But the thing about the Golden Knights that I've noticed the most is they just don't take very quality shots. Like when they're more aggressive, they seem to be better. But I guess you could probably say that about any team. But they really like to just throw it onto the net and the idea, I suppose, is that like the more shots that you throw on net, the greater chance of rebounds. And oh, anything can happen when you throw it on the net. I mean, clearly that doesn't work in basketball. It's a little harder to say in hockey. And I've looked up a few statistics, and like the year the Washington Capitals beat the Golden Knights in the finals, uh, the Washington was last in the league in shot attempts per game. And then you could go back even further. Pittsburgh was first in the league. So what I would say, quality really is the key here. And when they're just throwing it on the nets and not shooting their opponents, they're not benefiting from that at all. I think they need a they also they just need more help from their star guys. I mean, that is that's what's killed the Golden Knights in every series so far that they've lost. Is there's been that one player who steps above everybody else. It looked like it was going to be Mark Stone for a while, but he's kind of receded back into it. So look, if they win this game and it doesn't come from Mark Stone, like that's fine. But going forward in the next series, I do expect them to win. I just think they're more talented and they'll find a way to make it happen. Like, it's going to depend on their big guys. Like, look in the playoffs. I mean, like, everybody steps up. Jokic has stepped up. Kawhi, you could say to a certain extent, has as well. Luka has done that. Nobody for the Golden Knights has, they, has been up there for them. There's got to be a playoff expectation for these guys, and they just haven't done it so far. Uh, but again, Minnesota is good too. So it's, it's hard to say, like, I know it's in the first round, but it's because of the way the playoffs, like this is normally a second round matchup and the next round against Colorado Avalanche. So it's like a Stanley cup playoff. Yeah. Matchup. That's, that's not so going to be easy if they get past Minnesota Spence. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And, and look, Spence, 
your last thoughts here. If the Golden Knights fall to the Wild, they lose the series, they're out in the first round. How much blame needs to go on Pete DeBoer? I mean, you got rid of Gerard, Gerard Gallant, who led this team to a Stanley Cup final. He's out the door mid-season a couple seasons ago, and DeBoer comes in expecting to get them over the hump. And if they bow out in the first round, how much blame and how fired up should fans be on, on really giving the heat to Pete DeBoer? It's too easy to say Pete DeBoer. Look, I agreed with the firing of Gallant the day it happened. So I was for Peter the entire time. I think he understands hockey really well. Like I mentioned kind of earlier when I was talking about the Golden Knights, it's on Mark Stone and it's like almost on him only. I mean, Petrangelo maybe because he's like so good and like that was kind of the expectation. But in hockey, probably more than anything, it's so hard to implement a player. Hockey is so erratic. It's like hard to even conceive. In football and basketball, there are plays, right? There's an offensive flow. In hockey, it's just like, okay, you get it down there and you try to pass the puck around. So Mark Spohn knows and has been there. Like, they need this guy to be there. They need him to hit the game winners. They need him to, like, get the crowd into it at least. I mean, he just – like, Peter DeBoer, I think, is the best coach the Golden Knights have had so far. Like, Gallant did something that – he'll probably be the head coach of the new team that's coming out of, uh, in Seattle, right? Like he just has that kind of ability. And there are coaches like that in the NBA too, which are able to get players to a certain point and then they kind of tail off. And I, that's how I felt it was. Peter DeBoer is not to blame and I will not blame him for anything. There's nothing that I can point to him and be like, oh, you should have done that. No, he puts the players in position to make the right plays. They simply just have not done it so far. And they're lucky that Marc-Andre Fleury is on the team too, by the way, because any like, goalie that's like not inside the top five like this team gets creamed so much of the time at least from what i've seen that's spencer ostrovsky follow him on twitter at spencer the whiz we won't get to the broncos tonight uh we were recapping some of the win totals in the afc west and we're going to eventually before the season starts get to every team in every division in the nfl but we'll hit the broncos next week in the afc west and we'll talk more nba playoffs next week as well as as exciting as it gets a lot of the game threes coming up tonight and tomorrow. And uh, it looks like before we sign off, uh, the the Nuggets are having under two minutes left. They've got a 108-99 lead on Portland. So it looks like Denver will go up possibly two games to one. Anything can happen, though, here in the final two minutes with Portland. But, Spence, as it looks right now, uh, you could have had your ticket. The three-way action would have came in. (laughs) Absolutely uh, sick. (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll have one over the weekend, but uh, everybody enjoy all your sports action. We didn't get to it this week either, Spence. Phil Mickelson wins the PGA Championship, one major in golf. He won it at 50 years old. Um, and, of course, they have uh, now some more golf action with Bryson DeChambeau, Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about that next week also. For Spencer Ostrowski, I'm Brad Restituto. Follow me on Twitter at Brad the Believer. Like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Brad the Believer. Follow us on twitch.tv slash Chris Landry Football. And any of the podcasting uploads of the show, you can check out the audio versions. Landry Football Conference call the rest stop. So everyone have a great week, and we'll see you back on Tuesday.